right, let's fuck this chicken. Welcome to episode six of the uh, Creative Ass Adults podcast. Um, you know, back in the building, watching the, watching some games while we're recording again. Just got through watching that fucking Lakers and Bucks game. We will give an update immediately. Uh, currently watching the Houston Rockets and the LA, uh, LA Clippers play. Uh, highly anticipated game. These these uh, last two times they played have been real tight. So kind of going to be mildly distracted, but we're going to stay focused on the uh, on the pod today. Um, appreciate you guys for tuning in as always. Hope everybody's doing well. Um, I'm well. Can't complain, as my pops would say. Um, would nobody listen to that shit if I did anyway? <laughs> um, so um, we're going to get right into things. I'm going to start off with, uh, with the last thing I listened to, last thing I watched, and the last thing I read. Uh, last thing I listened to, it is Christmas time. So I have been all abuzz with uh, all that is Black Holiday Cheer. Uh, shout out to uh, the homie Max Kelly for throwing a really cool um, uh, kind of like a holiday dinner and gathering. Got to meet some cool people and uh, make some new acquaintances, and that was really dope. And she had like her uh, favorite uh, black uh, Christmas songs playing, and, and while she did, it kind of put me in the mood. So I've been listening to Christmas music kind of ever since last weekend. Um, you know, of course, All I Want For You Is Christmas by Mariah Carey, who shout out to her. Actually, for the first time, that song has finally gone number one. It came out like 20 plus years ago or something like that. And uh, this is the first time it's ever gone number one. So shout out to Mariah Carey, Black Excellence. Uh, 20 years later, uh, your art still holds up. That's what's up. <laughs> um, so we listen to a lot of that, a lot of this Christmas, both the Donny Hathaway and Chris Brown version. Um, also, Let It Snow for Boys to Men, which is probably my favorite Christmas song. And um, yeah, that's my that's my shit. So I've been listening to a whole lot of Christmas carols lately. Um, yeah, I, I, I do that. I am that nigga. I get in the holiday spirit. My mom was a big Christmas carol listener to her singer. Let's go to Christmas musicals at church. Let's go to Christmas musicals all over the place. And so, yeah, we did that all the time. So big Christmas carol person. I've been banging that a lot lately. And then I'm the type of person where as soon as the season is over, I'm done with it. Like, so the, literally the day after Christmas, hearing a Christmas carol or a Christmas song is going to get on my fucking nerves. The whole time, you will walk by me singing this shit. I've been singing this Christmas all day today. But the day after Christmas, like that, I don't want to hear that shit no more. So, um, yeah, I've been listening to a lot of Christmas songs. I'd uh, be interested to hear when uh, whenever this comes out. Make some comments on the uh, uh, this is going to come out tomorrow. Make some comments on the Instagram page and let me know. Say uh, what your favorite uh, Christmas carol is, what your favorite Christmas song is. Uh, I think mine is Let It Snow by Boys to Men. So, uh, yeah. Um, and then uh, last thing I watched. So last thing I watched was uh, this movie called Marriage Story. Um, yeah, probably heard of it. It's been garnering a lot of attention. Um, and it was on, uh, it's on Netflix. And uh, I've been hearing so much about it. Um, that that's what made me be like, you know what? I'm going to go watch this shit. Like, usually I'm the type of person where like Watchmen has been getting great reviews and I'm like, I kind of want to wait. kind of want to wait until after it comes out. That way I can kind of fully form my own opinion. I think I've said that before multiple times on this podcast. I, I want to be able to know that the opinion I formed about something is mine. So I try to go into whatever I go into just with my own agenda and sometimes waiting to watch that, either running to see it right when something comes out so I can see it before anybody else's opinions really have time to filter into my head, 
or waiting until after it's already been super popular and then going to go see it. But either way, trying to avoid like other people's because as much as I know I'm very strong-willed and intelligent, I know I'm not a sheep. It, it's human nature. Like you can easily be influenced by things, especially if you hear it in you know in, in uh, abundance or if you hear it from somebody whose opinion you care about. That can one thousand percent affect you. So, in trying to avoid that, I generally try to go see stuff either early. Uh, ASAP or just wait until after the hype has already kind of died down and then bring it up later. Like I just watched season uh, three of Stranger Things. Like I'm, like I said, I haven't watched yeah, Watchmen yet when all of my friends are like, you need to go watch it. I mean, uh, beside the fact that I'm kind of you know busy right now with my own art and stuff, I could make time, but I'm like, I just, I don't want it. I don't want to. I want to kind of watch it. I watched Euphoria late. Like everything I watch, I usually kind of watch on my own time and it kind of, I feel like it helps me form my own opinion. But, um, with um, with Marriage Story, with the Golden Globe nominations having just come out, and seeing how many nominations it got, I was very curious to see what what the hubbub was about. So I watched it. Um, very, very well written. Very multi layered. Very, um, very complex. Uh, just. But I think that just lends to what a marriage is, you know? I don't know if it's based on any type of experience, but if you if you write to that level about something that has that many levels to it, it's hard for it not to be multi-layered. Like, it's hard to write characters about a real marriage, like the one that they had, and it not be multi-layered. Bucket, let's go Rockets. And um, that's exactly what it was. I mean... I watched uh, the Hollywood Reporter Roundtable with Adam Driver, who was my favorite part of the movie. I, I love him in everything, though. I'm a really big Adam Driver fan. There's not a whole lot I've seen him in that I haven't really enjoyed him in. I do know that I wasn't a big fan of him. Um, I, was, I wasn't I was a big fan of Girls, the show on HBO, but I was a fan of his, rather, to word that properly. Um, I wasn't a big fan of that show, but I was a big fan of him on that show. Every scene that he was in, I enjoyed. I wasn't a big fan of anything else. Like, I wasn't a big fan of any of the other girls. I wasn't a big fan, really, of any of the other relationships. I just, in all honesty, to keep it a buck, it's just these these white women's, like, problems and scenarios were just really tedious and, like, unimportant and dumb to me. Like, I, a couple scenes, like, would get me long enough to keep me watching, and then I'd be like, okay, okay, okay. And then something else would happen, and I'd be like, oh, my God, no. This is, this, this is too well written about a white woman because this shit is just passive-aggressive and trivial, and I'm not trying to watch this shit. Not with this many passive-aggressive and trivial storylines all going on simultaneously. So I, I cut that shit off. But every time he popped up, often he was part of, because he was dating, I forget the girl's character's name, but the girl that like started pulling her hair out, that's about the time I was like, I'm good. Um, he was uh, dating her character. And so the scenes that he had, even though his character was kind of, not kind of mean, but also kind of just really blunt, but also kind of mean, uh, but also kind of like, very uh, insecure in ways that made him, like, vulnerable and kind of, like, still made you feel for him. Um, But, yeah, his character was so layered, and he just played him so well that I was a big fan of um, him. And that that was kind of the first thing that really drew me into him and to, like, find out all these things about him, that he was a Marine and, like, like, yeah, his approach to studying acting was kind of very similar. He said, you know, it's Marine training, it's just you train, and you train and you train, and if you trust the people who you're, you know, in this mission with um and everybody does their job to their ability and everybody buys into their roles in that job then um you know it can it can be you can get too 
your your destination, uh, you know, which can be a, an actual mission if you're in the military. Or it can be a, just a really fucking good movie in the way you, as good as you wanted it to be. Um, and if you look at it that way, that's that's a very interesting take on on you know um, um, just practice and rehearsal. And I'm a huge advocate of practice, whether it was back when I was open, or whether it was somebody you know, or whether it was somebody you know bringing me on to do some type of of project uh, and and or being on like a, the poetry team you know rehearsal I was always down for practice I, I enjoy practice like I'm the antithesis of Alan Iverson <laughs> I'm, I'm not what practice no I'm practice yes let's do it okay you're talking about sharpening crafts you're talking about getting better you're talking about learning you're talking about putting in work oh yeah I like all of those things let's do it I like practice like yes let me sharpen my sword I'm with that <laughs> 100% so I've always been uh I've always been um, somebody who really, really likes people who take that approach. And he's somebody who takes that approach to acting, and I enjoy, I can tell, because I enjoy how he how he attacks his craft. He's just, he just he commits. Like, he just commits in a way that's just hard to not um, respect. Like, you see somebody committing that hard, it's, it's real. And, uh, and yeah, and that's what he did in Marriage Story. Like, there's, you know, the scene has become memes and everything with him and his wife kind of, the last hash out they had before they finally really and truthfully, um, you know, called it quits and ended the marriage. Um, it was like the last real fight they had. And that scene is just, it's gut wrenching to watch, especially anybody who grows up in a household, seeing your parents fight, like, or just seeing a marriage, you know, deteriorate, uh, especially one that like theirs at one point was very happy watching that deteriorate. It's, um, it's difficult. You know, and, and they they portrayed that very well. Um, I don't think, that, like, as much as I thought the writing was great, as much as I give credit to the writing, because um, both um, leads have been very, very vocal about how much there was very little, like, there was very little, like, give in, in, in like, liberties in what they did on screen and what was written on the actual page. Like, they said dude had everything written uh, down to, um, you know, how long to pause, like, how long to wait, what parts of the sentences to break, where you should look away, you know, he had, he, it was, it was a very micromanaged script from what I've heard, and I can understand how that might be good or bad, but if the product comes out, you know, th this was a good project, and if, and if and it's being highly regarded, it's already been nominated for a lot of things, and I'm sure will be in the mix with Oscar nods, um, and, um, you know, if it comes out that well, and people perceive it that well, I guess, you know, continue to micromanage I guess because it's working and it's not his first time being nominated for big things but I do think it's very very interesting that um you know that's that's his approach to script writing I've talked about a couple different scripts we're going to talk about another script on the podcast today but um, I've talked about you know uh, Sam Levinson who's Euphoria's uh, creator and director and writer I've talked about his um his his attack and how he approaches script writing and the notes and things he leaves inside of the script along with you know Literally telling people, you know, at this point, go listen to this song. Started at this point. That's what I was listening to when I wrote this. You know, also, it's always really interesting for me to see all the different types of processes and different types of scripts that exist. And uh, I think it's really, really cool that um, you know now uh, you know, I even follow a page that actually has you know scenes that are really popular. I think it's called, yeah, Screenplayed. It'll have scenes that are really popular from TV and movies, and then it'll have 
as this, this script is rolling, it'll have the scene going at the same time. So you see the words actually going by and what the script looks like, and then you see how the actors deliver it. And it's one of my favorite pages to follow. Um, but uh, I think it's really cool that that's something that's like available to us now. Like being what I consider a movie buff since I was a kid because my mom was, um, like that's what we did. Every Friday we either rented a movie and Saturdays we went to the dollar movie or, you know, if it was like, ooh, this movie came out that we need to go see, then we went to go do it. And guess what my first job was? No, it was not as a, at a sneaker store, although I applied to everyone that I could and no one ever hired me. Idiots, I'm a great salesman. Ask anybody who knows me. <laughs> Idiots, literally every shoe store I've ever worked at or ever uh, applied at and didn't hire me, I was like, man, I would have made so much money for y'all. Y'all are such fun. Not only would I have bought mad sneakers, I would have sold mad sneakers, but that's a whole nother story. <laughs> but um, but yeah, the first movie, uh, the first job I ever had was at the movies. That's literally the first job I ever had. I went. To, I fell asleep during a movie on one of my breaks and got in trouble. I worked uh, the first Spider-Man release with Tobey Maguire, the very first one, where it broke all those records. Like quite literally, the lines were out the doors for days. I was like finding whole packs of Swedish fish and putting them in my pockets, just like keeping them for later and taking them to school because everybody was coming into that movie so much there was shit stuck between seats like I literally have very vivid memories from working at the movies and loving it I remember taking my mom to see uh, Ray on Christmas with Jamie Foxx in it Uh, that was like part of her Christmas present because I got to see free movies I took her to the movies to go see Ray so that was my first job was at the movies I've always loved movies so with the way media exists now being able to like really delve into your favorite movies and have access to you know the script or you know, access to insight to these actors' uh, heads, and, you know, it's it's really cool. I enjoy it, and and it's really amazing, Um, and, uh, yeah, and watching that scene that everybody's been talking about on that, that, uh, that um, Instagram page screenplay, it was showing, you know, just how committed Adam Driver is to his character. I mean, there's a couple scenes I love. I love the scene where, lo and behold, we find out he can sing, (laughs) you know, and that makes sense, because, if you train hard enough, you can make your voice malleable. You can make your voice sound good, even if you just can't sing, a la Drake, a la, you know, Ashanti, a la anybody who's not necessarily just out here Beyonce-esque hitting notes and Kalani runs and, you know, the vibrato of a Jill Scott, but you can train to make your voice sound good, you know, and, and if he trains the way he says he does, that's why he busts out and is like, I, I didn't know he could sing. And that's one of my favorite scenes is when he does um, he does a musical number and uh, it's really poignantly placed, the musical number, like what it's about, what he's singing about. And then it's also just, oh, wow, he can sing. And yeah, his approach to it is cool. Like he's his character is in theater. So he's an actor playing an actor. And so it's really cool watching him kind of act like he's this guy who's acting because he just turns into this character and starts performing this musical number in front of, you know, the people in his troupe and his, uh, like his, his, his actor's um, uh, camp. So it's pretty dope. Um, but the scene that everybody's, you know, like making memes about and going crazy about is the scene on screen played. And it's really, really, um, really, really cool to watch it scroll down with these words, knowing how micromanaged they've been because of the characters and the, um, you know, the actors that have portrayed them saying, you know, yes, he wrote all that in everything you see. He didn't leave any room like that's he knew how he wanted it. And that's what you had to give. And in a sense, that's why it's so good. We like the way it came out and it came out exactly as he wrote it down verbatim. And it's really interesting to watch that scene. So if you can go check that out, it's really cool. 
Um, it is a really amazing scene. Like I said, Adam Driver just blows me away in it. Just his, like I said, absolute commitment to the character is really, really dope. So that was the last thing that I watched, The Marriage Story. It is on Netflix. If you have time, definitely, definitely, definitely go watch it. Um, so last thing I watched and then the last thing I read, uh, was a quick little article and it was more of just like a really a blurb and some, you know, I don't even honestly remember who wrote it cause it wasn't too detailed, but more importantly, it was about, um, you know, Virgil Abloh, the, uh, the creator of Off-White and the uh, head of menswear at Louis Vuitton is, um, uh, basically made a statement where he said, you know, streetwear is, is, is on its way out. It's about to die. And, you know, though I understand where he's coming from and why he's saying that, because, you know, style, like all things, is cyclical. And, you know, streetwear has had its really, really heavy run. And I, I think when I read the article, I think he was specifically, I think he was saying in general, but I I can maybe see specifically in luxury. Where I was telling my friends, I used to work at a passport office with my sister, Ebby, and um, one of my really, really good friends, Keaton. And we were having this whole argument. And I was like, Yo, give it, give it, give it a few years. I was like, Kanye West is going to have shows, you know, in Paris. He's going to have high fashion shows. He's going to have his own high fashion brand. And streetwear and hip hop are going to run the runways. It's already starting to happen, but watch. And this was right around the time when like the, uh, the YSL sneakers that look like um, um, uh, uh, Jordan 1s were starting to get really popular. And really streetwear in general was just starting to have this huge you know, just blossoming and just, oh my goodness, like, wow, the amount of money, like, that's when the quote term hype beast and that culture just started to become really popular right around that time. Uh, I was like, watch, it's, it's going to take over. And my friend Keaton used to work at a coach and he was like, no way. Like I used to work at coach. I know what these people are like, there's no way they're going to adopt that. Blah, 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 blah. In my head, I'm like, yo, black people control the cool. I don't care what you're saying. I don't care what you're talking about. If anything we do, if we lead, they will follow. And that's exactly what happened. And, and I knew it was going to happen. So I think maybe streetwear might start to diminish a little bit as far as in luxury. I think we might start seeing less hoodies, less t-shirts, less sneakers, less anorak pullovers, less uh, Timbaland boot-esque situations, less collaborations with sneaker brands and stuff like that with high fashion. Like we've gotten to the point where like Puma is, I think, collaborating with Balmain and all types of other shit. And it's just like, What? And I, it, it's gotten a little corny to the point now where it's just like everybody's got one and a lot of people are just late. And so they're trying to get theirs in before, like I said, I think it might be starting to die down in luxury. But as far as streetwear, the culture dying down in general, I don't think that's going anywhere. You know, his statement of how many sneakers and how many hoodies and how many T-shirts can we own? It's like, well, you know, for those of us that are niggas that actually hang out with niggas and do nigga things, unlike Virgil, <laughs> um, uh, a lot. We're never going to stop rocking that because that's our culture. A hoodie and a good pair of denim and a fucking dope jacket, whether it be a varsity or a leather or, you know, say a fire-ass denim jacket, is always going to be something that is going to be classic and timeless to me. Like, that shit's always going to be dope to me. And, and he knows it. So, I mean, I think he's also, I've heard people say that I think he's also kind of trying to push people out of streetwear because I think his, like, creative affiliation as far as, being the director of Off White is starting to is gonna is gonna uh, be coming to an end, and so he's gonna be like more spending his time focused on Louis Vuitton, 
And in that case, if he's going to be spending more time focused on LV, then uh, of course he would want to say the streetwear is starting to die. He's going to want to push people more towards what he's creatively, you know, um, putting together. So I heard that comment and I was like, hmm, that could be interesting. It's, it's smart, but uh, it's shysty. And then I've never been a huge fan of his just because I, I don't I like I like his stuff. You know, he makes some dope things and I repost them, uh, you know, often. But a lot of times I think that there's just aspects of his artistry that I'm not a huge fan of. Um, I, you know, I'm all, anybody's a good fan of a good remake. You know, the remix is, is, is I'm a you know 2000s, 90s baby. I live for the remix. And I think that's what he's just really good at is remixing things. I don't think he necessarily comes up with a lot of new, fresh ideas. And um, I don't think that's what people necessarily go to him for. Um, so I don't know. It's always really curious with him whether it's like some of his stuff is just straight hit or miss. Either I love what he came up with or I'm just like, it's not that dope. Uh, it's, uh, there's like no middle ground with virtual shit to me. Um, and usually a lot of the things that I'm more prone to or more excited about are the things he come up he comes up with for um, uh, for LV. Like um, the, the pieces that he came out with that were like the vest slash um, military style pieces that were really just like, it was really just like an ornament that you put your arms through. It didn't really have any purpose other than, you know, it was an accessory. Um, those pieces, and to this day, I don't know what the fuck they're called. They're usually leather. Sometimes they have, you know, spots that look like you could put things in pockets and things of that nature. But sometimes they're just like leather pieces that you have your arms through. And, you know, you either have a jacket on, you have it on over your jacket, or you have it on, you know, over your dress shirt or your t-shirt, but it's it's really just an accessory piece. Um, that, because they became so popular, because people started to actually remake those, is one of the first things I ever saw that I was like, what is this? I would never seen it before he made it popular. And it could be that he pulled from something that has been popular before, but it was enough removed or enough uniquely twisted into his own creation that I couldn't place it. I can't say that about many of the other things he's created for LV or for Off-White. So um, that's, that's you know, kind of been my general take on Virgil is that's, he does remix as well, but doesn't always come up with a whole lot of new, fresh ideas as, you know, say a lot of other people might do. But, you know, some people will say nothing new under the sun. So there's that. But uh, that's the last thing I watched, the last thing I read, and the last thing I listened to. Um, so, uh, this is a quick, a quick nigga, we made it, uh, getting into that, uh, so nigga, we made it. Um, so this nigga, we made it is not anybody I know personally, but shout out to a five-year-old drummer. His name is Jeremiah Travis, and he will be able to attend Alcorn State University in Mississippi on a full band scholarship after he graduates from high school. Uh, he is, uh, going to do that in 13 years, <laughs> but, uh, Travis is from Louisiana, Louisiana, and is, uh, currently in kindergarten at St. Helena Early Living Center, he plays snare drum in the band at, uh, the, uh, their, um, uh, Helena College, St. Helena College and Career Academy, and he was offered this scholarship to attend the, uh, HBCU out in Mississippi, um, uh, on November 5th, um, by Chesterton Fry, who's the band director, at St. Helena High School and student director at Alcorn State University. So if you look at this picture, it's on Black Enterprise. This kid is super cute. And uh, that's that's really amazing. Just not only to hear about, you know, youngsters being, you know, wildly intelligent and focused and being able to turn that into scholarships at young ages, but this music prodigy out here has sealed his fate in a creative, as adults approved way for sure. And uh, he, he is able to go to college whenever he is good and ready. And they, they will be good and ready to have 
term. So uh, definitely shout out to Jeremiah Travis. That's amazing. Uh, you should go check out his story. Uh, there's a link uh, to a, a longer a longer article about it uh, on Black Enterprises Instagram page. So yeah, shout out to that that little talent. That's amazing. Uh, so that was the quick segment. Quick shout out for nigga, we made it. Um, so getting into two today's hot topics, uh, we got some some very silly shit, some interesting shit, and uh, some intriguing shit. <laughs> Um, but I mentioned earlier that, uh, I was going to talk about another script. So another script, uh, that I wanted to get into was the fact that the queen and slim script leaked and caused a buzz all on Twitter. I was brought to attention by it, um, from, uh, from a homie Megs and, uh, Magna Carta, but, uh, but actually, <laughs> but actually got to really see it more. So I think I found, I think I found a link to it on Instagram, maybe that led me to like a Reddit wormhole. And that had a whole lot of pages of the script I could actually see and saw a lot of people's comments and, uh, and saw, you know, people kind of going in on Lena and, uh, I still don't know. We still don't know if that's the, the actual final draft. We don't know what version of the script that is. Um, it's interesting for me to hear, uh, Melina Matsukas, who was very, very adamant about not doing the movie just because Lena's her homie and being like, I need to read the script first and then being sold after the script. Um, you know, Daniel Kaluuya swears that, you know, he read it first. He read like the first draft before they ever had any edits. It was just like, this is just the rough draft. Uh, he read it. He was like, I am slim. I have to be a part of this movie. And, you know, Lena's told the story over and over that she was like, no, no, hold on. You know, first Melina, I want Melina to do it. And then if and when she says yes, we got to pick Queen and Slim together. And But, you know, she was all, all, on, all on board. Um, you know, uh, uh, Melina says that Lauren Hill, they asked her, and Lena was like, I don't know if Lauren gonna give us anything, you know, Lauren's infamous for doing shit on her own time, infamous, infamous for telling niggas no, you know, infamous for just being an artist's artist, right, and so Lena was like, I don't know, you know, I don't think she's gonna give us anything, and Melina was like, well, fuck it, let's ask, you know, all she can do is say no type shit, so they sent it, um, and Lauren, um, it's, it's said, or they said that she requested, you know, to see the movie. So she saw the movie early and after seeing, you know, the, the early drafts of the movie and reading the script, she was like, oh yeah, I got something for you guys and gave them, you know, what became the track that everybody, everybody, uh-oh. you know, that, that's like the, the track that the movie closes out to. And it's one of the bigger songs on the, the soundtrack. It's like not the title because it's not called Queen and Slim, but because of the way it's promoted and, in all of the, you know, trailers and promos, and like I said, it's the first song, it's like the, it's the first song that comes up, you know, like when movies end, that first song that comes up when the credits start to roll is like usually the biggest song, like when Black Panther ended, the, uh, uh, the SZA joint, uh, with Kendrick, and all of that, like that shit started to come on the second the credits, <laughs> The second the credits started to roll. So it's always the song that I feel like this is the most popular is the one that kicks on the second the movie's over and the credits start to roll. So that was that song. And she gave it to them after hearing, after seeing the movie and after reading the script. So I'm like, do we know that this script we're seeing is um, the actual final draft? What it, Do we even know it's the real script? Um, so I don't know. I'm, I'm you know, I'm a Lena Way fan, so I'm always down to, to, to cape for my nigga. But uh, the more pertinent conversation that it brought up in all fun and, and, and you know, all, all, but in actually all seriousness is it seemed that a lot of the notes on the script seemed to be like explanations, like, the, uh, you know, things like explaining what Neo soul is or, 
you know, kind of corny explanations of people's, uh, um, uh, you know, kind of direction, director notes or like, um, you know, liner notes of this is what this should be doing or how it should be portrayed. And it was like kind of corny things like, oh, with the, you know, passion of, you know, this many slaves or Nat Turner or whatever. And, um, you know, I was first thinking, you know, a lot of people who deem themselves activists the way that Lena does are pretty fucking corny. You know, I haven't been, I haven't had access to a lot of uh, activist-esque scenes because of my involvement in the poetry community, and the two are very linked because of what poets usually talk about and who their influences usually are. That usually leads you to be somewhat connected to the, uh, you know, the activism uh, scene, uh, you know, because that is an actual thing, and you know, usually has you in the know or connected to, um, uh, you know, just. Uh, progress as well as current events and things that uh, should be, um, you know, uh, protested or, you know, fought against. And so having access to that, you get to be around a lot of people who deem themselves activists and a lot of people who are actually a thousand percent activists. And in that, you know, regard, uh, a lot of those people are pretty fucking corny. <laughs> a lot of those people are somewhat full of themselves. A lot of those people are a little holier than thou. A lot of the things I've heard people say about Lena. So uh, I'm not necessarily saying I believe those things because I've never met her. And I always judge a, a person based on my, you know, my interaction with them, not somebody else's. And then I also um, have, you know, Lena's DM me things. We just responded to, you know, likes, uh, like, uh, responded to, um, you know, comments and things of that nature on Instagram and Twitter. So she's never been... The only reaction, only action, interaction rather I've ever had with her has been positive. Um, I can't, you know, base my 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 opinion on anybody else's, but um, you know, a lot of people are very split on their opinion of her, and um, you know, fair enough. But at the same time, I don't I don't think uh, I don't think that the 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 movie would be any of the things that people do like about it. To me, the writing of anything is the bare bones of it. Like, Melina can't shoot that fire-ass uh, 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 juke joint scene if Lena don't write it. Like, she didn't just walk up there and be like, you know what, I think I'm going to shoot a juke joint today. No, Lena said there's going to be this juke joint scene, and this shit's going to go down in it, and you, and I want the lighting to create this. Now, no matter how cornily she might have said it, she had to say it for it to be created. You know, like, for all of those really cool shots to come off the way they do, they have to first be written. Like, for any dope song to to take advantage of a fire melody i mean a really good song not the bullshit where the beat just go hard the words go hard the words do something to you the words make you feel the way and they evoke something the same way the actual melody does so to me the bare bones and, and the most important uh, you know of any to art that has writing in it is the writing it's usually the bones so that that's you know that's just my opinion on it and uh i'm just like hey that movie doesn't get to be any of that if it if it doesn't have it, at least a decent script. So I'm always really curious. And I thought it was dope. Uh, if you look at uh, Lena's uh, page, Hillman Grad, uh, about her production company, it's really, really interesting. She has uh, these scenes that uh, are playing, and she's reading excerpts from the script and reading the direction and the director, the, like the direction in the script and the writing. And it's like, see, see how cool this looks? See how I wrote that? And I was like, that's kind of a really cool way to not ever actually address the accusations and what's being talked about, but address the accusations and what's being talked about. So I was like, that's that's genius. So I thought that was interesting. Um, if you have time, check out the script, get your own opinion on it. And if you have time, check out that and, and 
um, tell me if you think it's as shady as petty, but cool as I thought it was. <laughs> so, um, yeah, the Queen of the Slim script. Very, very interesting topic of debate. I enjoyed the movie. I plan on seeing it again. Um, and if and when available, if and when available, because I am a uh, uh, big Lena fan and daily am becoming a more and more fan of Molina, I do plan to buy that when it is available for purchase. So, um, yeah, interesting, uh, interesting conversation about script writing. As like I said, it is something that I am super um, into these days. <laughs> so also getting to some pretty uh, black excellent shit. Uh, Diddy turned fifty. Shout out to shout out to Diddy. Um, as I know him, Puff Daddy, shout out to Puff Daddy, um, you know, that's who I came up with, a uh, man of many names and many talents, but, um, his story along with, uh, shout out Hove last podcast, Turning 50, uh, those are definitely two of the elder statesmen of hip hop, uh, two of the elder statement, statesmen that I have always been fans of and, uh, appreciated their, um, their contribution and, like, uh, you know, like I said, I, I literally grew up being fans of, of both of those artists to both of their um, artistry turning into CEOs, turning from CEOs into philanthropists. Like I am, I am a huge fan of, uh, of, of, of both of those fellas. And so to see Diddy uh, turn 50 right after Jay-Z, is just like another reminder that, you know, we're going to be here. We're going to be here for years and we got time to create our legacies um, and, you know, and live them out and still be adults living those legacies out, and, uh, yeah, shout out to Diddy Turner 50, there's a video going around, not even from his birthday party, which all the photos and things look really amazing, but there's a video from, uh, uh, from, um, I think it was Tiana Taylor and Terrence J, uh, who used to be on 106 and Park, and a couple other cats that threw a ugly sweater Christmas party, and it was at Terrence J's house, and there's this video where Puff is clearly, I mean, lit, but Puff has always said he is a big partier. People have always said Puff throws the best parties. So seeing him, I've seen many a video of him looking super drunk. But he is like, uh, 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 all about the Benjamins comes on. And he is like vibing to it and he's singing it. And there's definitely a DJ there because they cut the music when the part, which I want to be, on all us, shot callers, brawlers. And they cut that part out and just let the whole audience sing it. And he is just like, in heaven, like, I literally posted it and was like, yo, that is the face and the happiness of somebody who has done everything that they have set out to do. And and it's, and it's still are in good health and in good spirits to do more. He's had a rough year with uh, the mother of his children uh, passing away. And he's, you know, moved through it and been a dad and been an entrepreneur, um, you know, um, through it all and an and a, and a inspiration through it all. So shout out to Puff. Uh, happy birthday. Happy 50th to Diddy. Um, really, really cool to see him and Hove get to bring in their birthdays the way they did. That video, I mean that photo rather, from Puff's birthday party with Puff, uh, Pharrell, Kanye, and Jay-Z. And Jay-Z looked like, my nigga, why y'all got me over here taking this picture with this nigga Kanye? Is hilarious. Oh my gosh, that shit is so fucking funny. Oh, the memes are even better. Like, I saw a meme that said, um, this is why I sent the text message to Ash, uh, who all over there. And it's just the face of Jay-Z just looking like, nigga, ugh. Like, that shit is too funny. Oh, my goodness. Meanwhile, the photo from uh, Diddy's birthday with just Hove and Diddy, yeah, that shit's hard. That picture's super hard. Um, yeah. Uh, Hove, the video of Hove snatching the phone from the guy who was, like, dancing next to Beyonce at Diddy's birthday party, but was trying to act like he was trying to, 
take a phone, uh, take like a video of himself, like the, with like the selfie camera. Hope snatched that shit so quick, like bitch ass nigga, and then handed it right back to him. Cause you in a place where it's a whole lot of celebrities. Beyonce is out with her friends. She's dancing around with somebody who's probably very rich, but I don't recognize. And uh, and um, ooh, and Kelly Rowland, fine ass. They're like dancing around in a circle, like black girls do when they dance around in a circle at a party. And this nigga's like kind of dancing close enough to her to like try to make it look like it's a video of him, but then he could probably tilt the camera a little bit and get a little video of Beyonce. Jay-Z was whipped to that shit and peeped it so quick. Like, bro, stop being a creepazoid and trying to film my fucking wife, you nasty weirdo. Like, just enjoy the amazing party and the privileged atmosphere you get to be in being allowed to be in here with all us niggas. Now, I also thought when I was seeing this video, damn, while you were snatching that camera, somebody else had their camera up and was recording you snatched that nigga's camera. <laughs> Oh shit! It didn't hit me until afterwards. I was like, "Damn, didn't nobody crab him though?" That nigga was recording you. Stop somebody from recording. <laughs> oh shit! That's hilarious. Um, but yeah, speaking of uh, of um, of uh, Jay Z and uh, and what he was doing for his wife, like I said, he did not seem too happy to be around Kanye West. And uh, speaking of Kanye West. Oh Lord, baby Jesus! I swear y'all won't have y'all won't. I mean, this Wayne just won't be satisfied until somebody just tells her she's black. So Kim Kardashian West, uh, her her goofy ass is on the cover of what looks to be Seven Hollywood magazine, uh, and somebody has painted her the shade of me. Like she is quite literally on the cover of this magazine with her with her fake hips. And this fake sequins dress with these fake titties and this fake brown spray tan on. I swear, no bullshit. She is the same color as me or like maybe even in certain spots, like a shade darker. It's fucking ridiculous. I genuinely cannot understand how some of the most intelligent people I know fuck with this goofy broad. This broad is a fucking doof bro I don't give a fuck how many people she tells you that she's freeing I don't care about none of that bullshit what I do know is that this goofy 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 woman is out here painting herself brown and y'all gonna be liking the shit out of this shit letting her get it off and telling her how fashionable and dope she is that shit is fucking ridiculous yo like shame on her and shame on those of y'all to put money in her pocket like y'all really rock with this goofy ass girl and that shit is, is baffling to me. Like, that's all I'm going to say about Kim Kardashian. But that is what I'm going to say about Kim Kardashian. That bitch is... She's... She's... She... Just... Ugh, yuck. Just... Yuck. Ugh. So, either way, moving on. <laughs> Speaking of another relationship, but one uh, that is funny and I, I don't think it's it's misery I don't think it's laughing and pain but it's just it's just funny like I in general think YG is a hilarious individual so I think it's even more hilarious that no no more than maybe two days after uh YG and Kalani announced their uh their relationship at New York Fashion Week which when I first heard about it I was like I don't know why but I'm here for this I'm really here for this little west coast connection both of them a little a little rough around the edges I fuck with it but uh, yeah, like two days later, YG was caught kissing or not kissing. He was doing everything but kissing some chick. And that was like literally his defense. He was like, yeah, I was a little too drunk. I was tripping. I ain't kiss her though. But I was doing a little too much knowing that I got a girlfriend. Shit was hilarious, my nigga. I was laughing so fucking hard. Like, I, I yeah, that shit was funny because I was just like, this nigga YG. 
Oh my goodness gracious! Like I, he the one put the picture out talking about Baylani. <laughs> he the one put the picture out talking about yo man. Not literally two days later, this nigga was caught kissing some, uh, not doing everything like I said, but kissing chick. Like it, it's it's pretty hilarious. I found it funny, but um, but it, unfortunately, Baylani is no longer. They are they are no longer together. They've uh, I think Kalani is the one who pointed out that she is officially single. And, uh, and, uh, she didn't say ready to mingle, but I think there was a, uh, like a rumor going around that she was with, uh, Tory Lanez and she put it out there. Hey, hey y'all, we made a song together. I ain't with nobody. And being that she ain't with nobody, that means that she is, uh, she's definitely not with, um, um, uh, definitely not with Mr. Uh, Mr. G. I don't know. She has a song out though. They said apparently where she said something like, uh, uh, you know, I'll always be Miss Jackson, or that'll always be my dick, or some shit like that. But it could be old, because according to both of them, they were, you know, flirting with each other and kind of been dating each other for a while. So there's a possibility that that song is not new, and she might have made it a long time ago, because, uh, like she said, she said outright on Twitter that I am single. So uh, the funniest couple slash cutest couple, unfortunately, is no longer a couple. So R.I.P. to that uh, to that link up that West Coast connection. Um, speaking of music. I'm going to stay on the topic of music without, I guess, necessarily talking about music. Uh, but a little bit. Um, uh, Chance apparently uh, canceled his tour. Now, I had a friend, uh, my homeboy, Brent, who we'll probably have on the podcast soon. That's, that's my bro. Um, but uh, I was talking to him, and I believe for his birthday, his girlfriend bought him um, uh, tickets because they were supposed to come to Austin. There was a stop for, uh, I think it was called the Big Tour or something like that. It was Chance, his brother, and a couple other people. And they were supposed to come through Austin, and I remember she bought him, excuse me, bought him tickets for that showing, and um, and I guess like, hopefully she got her money back because uh, uh, Chance canceled the tour. Looks like ticket sales were not uh, adding up to what they would have needed to be for him to play an arena tour because this was not him playing emos, which he's long since outgrown. But it's also not him playing like the Moody Theater or um, any other venue. He was trying to play. Uh, uh, the Frank Irwin Center, which is where, you know, Jake Cole played when he come, he came through. I think Post Malone is coming through. Rihanna played there. So, you know, you know that's that's the type of uh, venue he was looking to sell, uh, you know, from city to city. And I guess the ticket sales were not enough. I know he pushed the tour back at first, and then it looks like he just all the way canceled it. So, um, you know, I think the fans have spoken. I said a while back that that album just was not it. And, you know, Chance has given me enough work to where I am – Still a forever Chance the Rapper fan. It's not like I'm not a Chance the Rapper fan, but um, it's it's a thousand percent uh, interesting uh, to see how the fans have kept it a buck with him essentially and reacted to the fact that he is he's not yeah he's 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 not coming off of his best he's not coming off his best project. So sad to see it, hate to see it, but it's very very interesting. It's very very interesting to see some uh, an artist of that caliber, an artist of that caliber to uh to have to you know cancel a stadium level tour so i don't know man we'll see uh, i'm definitely waiting to see chance bounce back from this and come back with his next project a thousand percent i'm interested to see that so hope hoping for it as well i know he's capable of it i know he's capable of it so super interesting to see that um kind of get into some silly shit uh, so apparently the migos have a i guess collaboration going with Popeyes. Uh, if you go on Uber Eats, uh, you can order the Migos meal. 
which are the different meals that the different members of the Migos have selected. I guess it's like their usual go-tos when they order at Popeye's. But it's, it's pretty fucking hilarious to see, um, to see, uh, <laughs> like, I guess you could order like what Quavo likes. You could, and it's like a two chicken sandwich meal, which good luck get finding somewhere that has two chicken sandwiches. Um, uh, anytime you just want it, but it's a two chicken sandwich meal with like uh, two fries and two drinks. And then there's, um, uh, I believe, uh, offsets. It's just like mixed, mixed chicken bone in. And then, um, uh, takeoffs is like a 12 piece tender. And so it's really interesting to, uh, to, to see that the Migos have a collaboration with a fast food restaurant, y'all. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of, of QC, a label as far as their music. Not a big Migos fan, not a big, not a Cardi fan at all. Not a, not a Yachty fan at all. Not a City Girl fan at all. Uh, I am a DaBaby fan. And um, I think that's it as far as their roster. That's like really big names, but... Yeah, not a huge QC fan as far as the music, but I'm a huge QC fan as far as the branding, and a huge QC fan as far as um, the uh, outside of music opportunities that P, uh, the head of QC, always finds for the different artists in the camp. Um, in that aspect, I feel like there's not really anybody who can fuck with them, with the exception of TDE. Like, they always have something with Nike or... Uh, you know, I know SZA with uh, Team Jordan, and you know, there's all all types of stuff that they usually have people. They have these different types of uh, collaborations with the different TDE people with, but it's always really funny um, to see the different things that P comes up with, because that it, <laughs> hey man, Yachty and Nautica, um, Reebok and Cardi, um, uh, uh, like I said, Popeyes and and. and they also Mountain Dew with the Migos. Like he's he's constantly uh, finding ways to get his team paid, and I am a fan. I'm a huge fan of of how he pushes to get them in different spaces. So I, I love it. I really really do. So uh, I think it's funny, but also shout out to uh, P and shout out to QC for constantly you know finding ways to push hip hop because that is that is in another way that's still pushing the culture finding a way to have all these different collaborative efforts with uh all different types of mainstream media uh and fast food is is just that you know it's everywhere and Popeyes is huge right now so with that damn sandwich to find a way to get their names attached with it is uh is very 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 uh smart there's no other way to, no other way to put it nothing else to call it so shout out to QC and shout out to the Migos I'm gonna have to try that meal uh, I've been able to snag the chicken sandwich a couple times I actually had it the first time before it got like super popular I had it when it was you know it had been on the menu that's not a new thing on the menu I don't know who tried it and snapchatted it and fucking tweeted it or whatever before it blew up but I had it on the menu when I first moved into my apartment I think way back in June because I had didn't have any plates, I didn't buy any you know utensils or anything. So Popeyes is right down the street from my crib. So I went to Popeyes and I tried the chicken sandwich because I did not know that they had a chicken sandwich. So I fucking tried it and it was good. And I was like, cool. Now I know they have one. And then fucking three months later, niggas is fighting over it and shit. And I was like, oh wow, that's kind of been there, y'all. Now it's running out and shit. It's like when they told people that gas was running out in Austin and then people started running the gas to get it because they thought it was going to run out and then gas actually did start to run out because people were trying to buy it so fast because they thought it was going to run out that it was running out faster than it usually did. And, um, and you know, 
places were having to order more gas because it should have lasted for longer, but you create that perception in people's heads and it turns into a feeding frenzy with Popeyes literally. So I thought that was uh, really smart. Like I said, Popeyes is on this crazy roll, so Q finds a way to get his guys paid by, you know, hey, we fuck with Popeyes. Let's find a way if we can get paid for eating Popeyes and show the fuck enough they did. <laughs> so that shit's hilarious and very smart. So, uh, uh, yeah. So moving on from uh, from Hot Topics, uh, kind of getting into, I'm not going to talk about this too long, but I am going to touch on it because I think it's too important not to. So I'm not going to talk about it forever, but Trump did get impeached. I was watching it, and the whole time I was watching it, all I was thinking is, you know what? I don't, Bill Clinton got impeached too. He didn't get he didn't get removed from office. So I don't necessarily think that he's going to get impeached, but I do think I, I don't necessarily think he's going to get removed from office because he was impeached rather. Um, but I do think it it I don't know maybe it's a morale boost for a while. Uh, in watching it and just watching how split it was with uh, watching you know each of the different representatives give their takes on impeachment. I was just like, man, there's still so many people that just really support this dude. Hearing people say, you know, white people and hearing supremacists and Trump supporters say crazy shit. Like, you know, if this motherfucker gets removed from office, we're going to be out in the streets with guns. Hey, motherfucker, we got our shit too. Come with it. Nobody worry about you motherfuckers. That's real. <laughs> That's real. Like, fuck out of here with that shit, bro. You ain't scaring nobody with that talk at all. Because if he's out of office, we sure ain't worried about shit. So you better relax. You know, better not let that crazy ass man put a battery in your back. But hearing that shit, like <laughs> watching people still defend him even after everything he's done, watching people say that he, you know, the only reason we're trying to impeach is because we couldn't get him out of office and he was elected, you know, fair and square, and now we're trying to you know, find a way to get him out now, and, and that's why. You know, seeing people really say that for their own interest, seeing people really say that and believe it. I don't know if we're necessarily going to get rid of this guy. I would, I still would not be surprised if even after this, he fucked around and got uh, got elected to a second term. That's how little faith and confidence I have in this fucking country. So that's all I'm going to speak on. It. He got impeached. That's what's up. Put one in the air for that. But don't sleep. Don't sleep. I'm moving on to other news. Uh, so I'm, I'm sure a lot of people saw the girl in the uh, in the Bronx that got uh, kidnapped. There was that video going around. It was pretty, uh, pretty viral uh, and, and also pretty just at the time, really gut-wrenching and hard to watch, of this young girl, I think she was about 16, 17, being grabbed off the street. She was walking down the street with her mom, and she was grabbed off the street, pulled into a back of a van, and the van, you know, drove off. And right now with, you know, uh, trafficking, you know, human trafficking, especially young girls being so, especially young brown girls, being so rampant in, in, in America, it looked like, uh, you know, this was going to be another case of that. So people were really worried, really scared, you know, reposting and, and, and trying to, you know, get her face out there. Some people could try to find her. She was found, and uh, thank God that she was safe. And it turns out she was faking it. You know, I've heard a couple different stories about why she was faking it, but she set it up. I heard that, you know, she set it up because she didn't want to go back to Honduras, which is where her family was from, and they were looking like they were going to have to go back. And then I've also heard that uh, not only did she just want to stay in New York, but they were going to go back and she wanted to stay with a boyfriend of hers. And so, you know, it's, which doesn't sound, you know, it sounds crazy, but it doesn't sound crazy when you think about the, all the other crazy things that teenagers do. Like teenagers have done crazier for uh, for their boyfriends, you know, being caught up in that. So, you know, it's sad to see, 
And you know, overall, more than anything, I'm really, really happy that she's safe. But it's sad to see that she possibly put her family and even just people who didn't know her through turmoil, you know, perpetuating a lie because she knew it would be something that people would identify with and she knew it was something that would go viral um, because of what's going on these days. So it's really sad. I hope she's okay. I hope, you know, um, you know, if she, I hope she doesn't have to go back if she doesn't want to, but at the same time, I do know that if her family's going back, she's probably going to have to. And I do know if she's from Honduras, her fucking people don't play that shit. So she probably got the ass whooping of her lifetime for, for putting that shit up, for setting that shit up, and for putting her fucking family through that. So it's really, really interesting. Uh, really, really, really um, wild to see the types of things that go viral. And then when you give them a day or two, finding out what really went on in the background, it's like, wow, she 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 tried to Jesse Smollett us. Uh, she tried to Jussie Schmollier us. What the fuck the name Chappelle say? Jussie Schmollier. <laughs> she tried to pull a fast one on the whole fucking world with the internet. That shit's crazy, bro. This internet social media shit is crazy. And the extent to which that shit gets funnier and crazier every day surprises me every day. So that shit's hilarious. But at the same time, it's like, wow, I can't believe. But I can believe somebody would go through that type of shit. <laughs> in order to, uh, you know, try to hatch some type of scheme. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's, that's crazy. So, uh, moving on, I'm going to get into a few quick sports topics, and then I'm uh, probably going to wrap up the pod, uh, get a little late, and I uh, want to get this out to you guys by tomorrow before the week's over, and I also want to get my ass to bed before I got to go to work in the morning. So, uh, getting into sports, uh, like I said, we started this right after the Lux and uh, the Lux, the Bucks and Lakers game. Uh, shit, the Lux love the Lux low key might be what to call them though. I know they twenty four and four, but hey, I'm trying to tell you the Bucks have had a tough front half of their season. The same way my my uh, Celtics and my Rockets have, they've played real teams in the beginning of the season. I told y'all, I said the Lakers are real because I saw them play a couple games, and I was like, okay, I'm starting to buy into the train. And I still don't think that they're trash, but I still think that when they play teams that are as good as them or better, that is a fully healthy, full, strong team. I don't want to hear about Anthony Davis's fucking ankle. I'm sure there's not one player out there on that court that doesn't have something that's bothering them. But if you're good enough to play, you're playing. And though he went off, Charles Barkley at halftime said something that was really poignant. And if anybody knows me, they know I don't watch basketball with the words on. For what? I know basketball. I don't need to hear them tell me what's going on. I might turn it on to hear something when I think the play is called wrong or because I want to hear what they're saying during the replay. But, you know, some of a really cool play or a dunk or something. But for the most part, I'm going to have music playing in the background. The only time I actually watch the commentary is when the games are on TNT because it's Shaquille O'Neal, Charles Barkley, Kenny the Jet, and, and Eddie. And these motherfuckers are not only really smart and some of the best players and literally champions and literally Hall of Famers, they also are the most dynamic and the most poignant um, duo of guys to actually um, you know, dive into the game and not just kind of commentate on what's going on. Because I can do that. I can just sit there and say, oh, well, this is going on. Da, da, da. Like, there's no real insight being provided. And, um, you know, half the time when I watch games and I let the commentary go, I wind up saying something and then hearing them say it right after me. Like, and it gets to the point where I hear that so much, like, what the fuck am I listening to this for if I'm just saying it? So I put on some music and I can multitask. You know, I can sit there and listen to something and watch something that I want to fuck with. So I usually don't 
But uh, what I do, it's the, it's the crew on TNT. And Charles Barkley said something about the Lakers uh, at halftime during this game. He said, if, if Anthony Davis and LeBron James don't kill, they don't win. Because none of the other players on that team, with the, with the exception of maybe Rondo, maybe KCP, but nah, not really buying into it. Um, not against high-level players like the Bucks, but even White Boy Caruso. But even him, not really. He's a shooter. So for the most part, there's not a whole lot of people on, their, on that team, on the Lakers, that can create their own plays. There's not a lot of playmakers on that team. You know, this and, and and on top of playmakers, there's not even a lot of people on that team that can make plays for themselves. So, and, and, and in hearing that, I was thinking about it more when I had to run to the ATM. I was like, LeBron usually constructs these teams that allow him to be able to utilize everything about him that's great. He's a great passer, so he surrounds himself with shooters. You know, he he's a great passer, so he surrounds himself with people like Dwight Howard and people who are good with the lob. You know, he surrounds himself with people that he can utilize. And in surrounding himself with people that he can utilize, sometimes he doesn't always put people on the teams that he, these people he picks. He doesn't, you know, he picked people that ended up on Miami. He picked people that ended up on the Cavs. You know, he, sometimes he picks people that are good for his skill set, but they don't necessarily have their own outside of the thing that he needs them for. And I get creating role players and people, you know, knowing their role that is necessary to win a championship. I truly believe people have to buy into what they're good at and do that thing, you know, at a certain level to be able to make all the pieces come together to, you know, Voltron-esque win this championship. And that to me starts at the top, literally like with the front office all the way down to trainers type shit. Like you have to do that. But, um, but he doesn't always put people around him that are, he might have one or two. He might have a Kyrie. He might have a Dwayne Wade. He might even have a, a Chris Bosh. Or he you know, he might have an Anthony Davis. Or like I said, or a Rondo. But other than that, Danny Green, I mean, he's not, a, he's not a bad person off the bounce. But Danny Green's a shooter. He's got a fucking gun tattooed on his shoulder. He's a shooter. Like he, and he's known mostly for catch and shoot. Like he's a shooter. He, so they've got, him, damn, I'm just dropping everything today. What the fuck? <laughs> they've got uh, Danny Green. They've got Caldwell Pope. They've got um, Caruso. They've got, you know, a lot of people around them that can catch the ball, catch shots, you know, a lot of penetration, either getting it down to Anthony Davis and him kicking it out or LeBron actually creating the penetration and kicking it back out or just utilizing his, you know, complete bag of tricks when it comes to passing. But, if, if they're not hitting or it really if LeBron or AD aren't playing particularly well or they're being able to be, you know, not stopped. You can't stop either one of those guys, but being able to be, you know, contained to the best of your ability and, 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 and nobody else outside of them is creating anything. You know, those are going to be the top caliber teams, teams like the Clippers, teams like the Bucks, teams like the Celtics. And even as their defense gets better, even teams like Houston, they're going to be able to quell the uh you know the the the, uh, the those two and if everybody else uh, can't create something for themselves in a seven game series that's barbecue chicken because in a seven game series you need everybody who does what they do to do it and then on top of everybody doing what they always do you need a couple guys who are gonna step up in the gap and shine and get you those games that could have been too that could have gotten away those those are the teams that wind up winning you got to be able to have you know 
people show up and do what they do. But if one night they have an off night, you got somebody off the bench who's going to go ahead and like, all right, I, I accepted this role, but I can give you 25. I can give you 20. I can give you, you know, 15, 6, and 8 off the bench. Like, you need somebody who's going to, you need people who are going to be able to do that to self-start. They don't have a whole lot of self-starters on that team. You got They got a lot of people who can catch fire, but not a lot of self-starters. So that was something that uh, Charles Barkley pointed out, and then I kind of just ruminated on some more and was like, hmm, that could be like a thread. So I'm going to keep looking for that. When I have theories like that, I keep watching games. I keep paying attention to what players are doing, what they're adding to their game, especially now that the All-Star break is right around the corner. We'll see after the trade deadline what moves are made, and we'll see if that remains to be the case. Um, so, we'll, you know, we'll see. So that's my take on the Lakers in that la- in that game. Oh, by the way, the Bucks won. <laughs> oh, by the way, the Bucks won. At one point, the Bucks were up by like 25. It's crazy. Um, so moving on to uh, a team I give a shit about, the team, especially over the Lakers, motherfucking Celtics got the W yesterday. Motherfucking Kimball Walker and uh, 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 my boy Jason Tatum all went off at the same time. I love to see it. Um, I love to see, I love to see when Jason gets loose. I think his, he, he got real loose in his, uh, he, you know, he went to the finals as a rookie and was loose in the finals. I think he averaged like 20 in the finals. Uh, and then, um, you know, got looser in his second year. And then Kyrie comes around. I feel like that looseness he had kind of got diminished because he had to kind of play the back for correct for Kyrie. And in doing that, I feel like a lot of the skills that he should have kept honing in on, he should have kept you know, beaten down on. He should have kept attacking the rim the way he was. He had that mid-range game, that written, the mid-range game down to a boogie. And then when Kyrie comes in, you know that's his bag. So Kyrie, you know, you saw how he was on the, on the Celtics. It it wasn't so much his personality. I think that was toxic. It was just his style of play that was toxic to a team that was so even. Like when you have all these young cats who you know are willing to share the ball, and we're like. You know, they're doing these interviews together as a team, and they're saying, you know, we believe in each other. We as a team pick up each other when other people fall short. And then you have this guy come in who's like, give the ball to me. You know, give it to me. I, I, I'm I a closer. I'm clutch. I'm the finisher. I'm the go-to. When you had people who were, you know, literally Jalen and, and, and Jason are doing interviews together. They're working out together. The team just genuinely looked like it, it meshed. And then this guy came in. I don't think he is a bad person. I love. I think Kyrie's actually, from everything I see, he seems like a pretty good guy. But he comes in and just his style of play was toxic to a so evenly spread out style of play before that was being so successful. And we thought, you know, we need this guy, this closer, this, you know, this elite player to get us over the hump. But his one personality and his one style of play interjected in just kind of was a cancer that unfortunately just killed the success and made us almost have to rebuild entirely. Uh, and now we're, we're playing without, you know, our starter. You know, Gordon Hayward is having a real hard time staying healthy this year. Um, but, um, you know, we're we're, 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 we're we're fighting through. We're still, you're still well above 500. And uh, it's greatly in part to people, you know, starting to get their confidence back. And then also uh, being able to remove Kyrie and inj- inject Kimba. Kimba Walker is, you know, just as capable of Kyrie of dropping 30, but he's a more encouraging personality. And you just see it. They look like they're starting to really get it with each other and um, really starting to boogie. And I really like to see it, or I love to see it, actually, because it's, it's starting to make I see him, you know, it, I see 
when Kyrie was on the team, I see a player like uh, like a young player like Jalen or you know even somebody off the bench put up a shot, and if they miss it, you know he's upset and he's he's going up to him like you know you should have gave it to me. Or Kimba, I see him, he's gonna get his. You know, Kyrie is the type of player too. He's gonna get his. But when Kimba knows he's gonna get his, that also equals him getting his, and then him seeing another player who may not be getting theirs and be like, keep shooting, don't stop. He's encouraging in his personality and in his mannerisms and in his outright words. And and seeing that, I think that has made the biggest difference in the uh, the increase in productivity in the Celtics this year. So shout out to them getting that dub over the Luka Lis. Uh, Mavericks, um, but the Mavs just uh, beat, um, you know, Minnesota. Well, uh, I mean, not Minnesota. I'm sorry. The Mavs just beat um, Milwaukee without Luca. It was a very good game, and they beat them. And so th- that means that they are capable of being a very beating a very good team without Luca. So I say that you know, of course, we want to always beat a team at full strength. But if they're able to play that well against a team that good who wasn't full strength and just showed again tonight in beating the Lakers just how dangerous they are, then 1,000% I take to getting that W over them even without Luka, even though, of course, we would have preferred to beat the, beat the completely healthy team. But I'll take getting the W over a Luka-less Dallas team that is in the, I believe, top four of the West and just beat the team that now has the best record in the league. Um, yeah. I 1,000% uh, will take that as a good indication and something the Celtics need to build off of. So, shout out to the Celtics. And then also, although I'm watching them struggle right now against a very good Clippers team that is playing very well, um, but also shout out to the Houston Rockets who had their largest comeback. Uh, they were down, I believe, about 25 over uh, under the, uh, the uh, Spurs at halftime and came back to win that game led by the Beard and the Brody, who both had great games. Um, really, really, really happy to see. I really like to see when Russell and uh, and James are both firing on cylinders at the same times because anytime I see something, I'm like, okay, especially against a good team, that I'm like, you're capable. Uh, I guess I can't say good team. That team is actually off to a historically poor start. But they have good players. They have good matchups, good pieces. To see them be able to uh, come back uh, against a uh, – uh, well, I'll say, if not playing well, a well-staffed um, uh, San Antonio team that they just had such a controversial game against with that James Harden dunk being uh, uh, not called correctly by the refs. Uh, to see them come back from that, to see uh, Harden have 28, to have, see Westbrook have 31, Macklemore had 17, Capella had 15. Like To be able to see them play that well and come back from a 25-point deficit, a history, uh, you know, record-setting performance, uh, the largest deficit the Rockets have ever uh, come back from, um, to see them be able to do that and see them be able to rally in that way, like I said, I, I, when I see, especially in basketball, when you show me what you can do, now I want to see you do it all the time. So, uh, you know, shout out to the Rockets for making history and, uh, you know, stay on it. Stay on top of it. This game is actually going on right now. They're getting their asses whooped right now by the L.A. Clippers. But I'm going to keep watching it because I know what they can do. And I know what I've seen them do against this same team. And I know what I've seen James do against this team. They're playing great defense on them. They're a really great defensive team. But I think James is the best offensive player in the league right now. And, uh, you know, every player has, has a bad game. And they're, they're putting the pressure on him. But 
I don't think I I don't think they can do this for seven games. <laughs> I don't think they can do this for four games in a row. So uh, yeah, uh, you know, I'm gonna keep watching this game and see if they can maybe have a uh, type of comeback on uh, on the Clippers the way they did on the Spurs. Hopefully, got my fingers crossed. Um, so one of the last topics let me get into before we wrap it up. Um, just really touch on really quickly before uh, I touch on uh, the uh, the uh, the Cowboys. I gotta talk about Spencer Dinwiddie. <laughs> Spencer Dinwiddie is the uh, the guard right now that is leading the uh, the uh, Brooklyn Nets. They are right now without Kevin Durant. They are right now without. Uh, uh, Kyrie Irving, and they still have a record well above 500. They have beaten really good teams, and uh, it's really, really uh, impressive to see what Spencer Dinwiddie is doing. He's dropping 30. He's he's you know he's giving you range all over the court. He's he's really uh, an offensive. Um, he's a bucket man. He's an offensive tear. He is a walking bucket, and the dude's not half bad on defense either. And uh, that team is being led by him right now. And like I said, they are above 500, and uh, and they have beaten quite a few teams who are also above 500. So I'm really impressed with Spencer Dinwiddie, and I I, I look forward to see who is going to give him a big bag of money because when Kyrie gets back, they are going to cut that man's time, his numbers, his shot attempts. And now that we, like I said, once you show me what you can do, and that's what he's doing right now with this opportunity is he is showing everybody what he can do. And um, if the Nets don't find some way to make use of that, I guarantee somebody else will. So uh, touching on that, shout out to Spencer Dinwiddie. Uh, really, really impressed with uh, what I'm seeing from him. That's what I'm talking about, Capella. Let's get that Let's get that going. Let's keep that energy. Let's get this running up. Let's get stops. Uh, but, yeah, uh, shout out to Spencer Dinwiddie. And um, uh, last thing I'm going to end it on. Is, uh, is the Cowboys beating the Rams. I've not been watching football like that, but I did watch the Cowboys put a spanking on the L.A. Rams. Love to see it. Love to see it. I want to see them do the same thing to Philly coming up this week so we can try to get in these playoffs. And uh, I, have, uh, I have said that every year we play really, really well during the season and get beat in the very first playoff game. So maybe this year by playing so terribly in the regular season – we, we might play well in the postseason. Appreciate y'all listening to the Creative Ass Adults Podcast. I'm about to watch the rest of this game. Hopefully my Rockets can find a way to come back. Uh, but if not, y'all come back now you're here because I'll definitely be back next week. Uh, appreciate y'all as always. Peace.